Good morning, Church on the Rock. Boom, my name is Rashad Cunningham. I am the lead pastor here at Church on the Rock, and we do that. Good morning for any of you who are here for the first time. We do that to make sure you are up because people are still tired at 11 o'clock on a Sunday sometimes. So this is to get you up and going and be excited to hear a message from God himself through his word. So when I say good morning, Church on the Rock, you say good morning, Rashad, as loud as you can. So just let me know that you are awake and you're with us. Also, if you are a guest, a member, a regular attender, or any of that stuff, thank you. Like, thank you for being here. Because, because we know we're not special. Like, we don't do anything that's, like, performance-wise calling you to be here and the lights are, you know, strobe lights and all. We don't, we don't have all of that stuff. We simply love uh, you, love God, love his word. And for you to be here, God must have nudged you. God must have pushed you to wake you up and, and bring you here. And if not, then we hope he's nudging you now. <laughs> so um, I'm going to say good morning, Church on the Rock, one more time. You scream it as loud as you can, and we're going to get started. Good morning, Church on the Rock! Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray before we get into the word. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for uh, your living word. Thank you for the fact that we could preach this a hundred times in one day and still get something new from it every single time. That is how you work. That is how you operate. And, and we love you for that. Father, I'm asking that you remove me and allow them to hear all of you. Uh, Father, I thank you for the grace as it's been a, it's been a long week, a challenging week, Father, and yet um, you've taken this and just done it in such a unique way where it's none of me. It's, it's, it's not my own doing. So I ask that the, the ears that are listening, that the hearts that are listening this morning, I'm asking that, Father, you give them peace and rest in this moment so that they leave all worries and cares and anxieties that may have been on their hearts today or this morning or, or last night, that they leave that at the door so they can hear you and may you minister to them in the moment. May may you minister to them right now so that they can have healing and, and so that they can have victory and joy and, and all the things that, that we can grab from your profitable word. We are so thankful for the privilege to hear a message from you, Father. Uh, please use this morning to uh, to just love us where we're at. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, so we are in our series called Will You Rock With Us? Will You Rock With Us? In the first, in the first sermon, somebody started doing this and kind of threw me off. But yeah, will you rock with us? Will you partner in with us? Will you be a member with us? And what does that mean? What does that look like? So we started off two weeks ago, we started off in 1 Corinthians 12, and we looked at um, you asking yourself, are you here because the Spirit has actually led you here? Are you here in this season at Church on the Rock because God has actually gripped you, grabbed you, and has, has grounded you right here at Church on the Rock? And, and, and if so, then he should, he should give you something so that you can labor here and so that you can be linked here. So that's where we started out in 1 Corinthians 12, saying that all members should be, be um, led to wherever they're a part of the church family, they should be laboring with that church family or operating, functioning, and they should be linked with that church family. And then we went to the next week. We went to last week where we talked about every member is needed, every member is named, they are necessary, and they are not neglected. This is where we were saying all members of the body are needed. Every single person who is a believer in Jesus Christ is needed to function with a body, whether it's here at Church on the Rock uh, where it's, whether it's somewhere else, God wants you gathered and functioning together, not just in the building, but in the community, in the world, in your workplace. So it's not just the holy huddle where we only take care of each other's needs. We actually take the gifts that God has gifted us with as believers, and we take care of others. And, and so we were walking through how the entire body is needed, all members are needed, and, and we function together, and we've been given gifts for the common good of not just those inside of here, but those in the world. That's why we reach people with the gospel. We preach to them, and we share with them. And as he closes out that chapter, he starts saying, now, once again, 
Every member is an individual, but they're a part of one body. And he says, not all people are apostles. Not all people are prophets. Not all people are teachers and preachers and uh, helps in administration or have the gift of tongues. Not all people have those things because it would be foolish. Not, we, we wouldn't be a body. We would just be one body part. So he mentions that not all people have these things. And he gave it in that order, in my opinion, specifically because the Corinthian church had a uh, a um, fascination with the gift of tongues specifically. They, they, they kind of put that above all gifts. And, and Paul kind of, when he's listing the gifts, he goes apostles and prophets and teachers. And he comes all the way down and tongues is like the last one because it's more showy per se. And this was something that people were doing falsely or doing incorrectly according to what God would have. So he goes, he says, hey, desire the greater gifts, desire the greater gifts, he goes, but I, I show you a still more excellent way. That's how he closes out chapter 12, and we're going to start off in chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So I'm going to tell you what I told the first service. I will not get through uh, my points. I may not even get to my points, and there's a specific reason for that. That God, But do not have love. I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He goes on, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy... And know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And then he goes on finally, and he says, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So I want you to stop and just think about those three verses and ask yourself this question in the voice of Tina Turner. What's love got to do with it? Come on, Brent. You're supposed to be with me on that, not laughing. Come on, man. <laughs> He's back there cracking up. <laughs> What's love got to do, got to do with it? Right? Don't, don't do that? All right, all right. So look, check it out. So check it out. Here we go. What's love got to do with being a part of the body? What's love got to do with your spiritual gifts? What's love got to do with any of this? And I'm going to reply to you, Everything. Absolutely everything. You see, there's four different Greek words for the word love. Whereas in the English language, there's only one. One. So this is what this is where church gets real funny and real sketchy because we use our American word love. Um, in so many different ways that when we say, hey, you need to love your neighbor and love your church member and do things out of love, we just take any definition in our American language of love and we just apply that. So let's start there first. Let's, we just saw the word love in each of those verses and each one said, if you don't have this love, then you're noisy or you're nothing or you're negated. It doesn't matter. Like if you don't have this love, all, those, all that gifting means nothing. It means nothing if you don't have this particular love. So let's talk about the Greek words of love, starting with the word eros, right here, eros. So this is the first one. This one right here is where we get our word erotic from. This is like a sexual pleasure or a passion, a desire. Uh, um, so it wouldn't just be just sex, but maybe a passion or, or for pleasure, a passion for, a passion for power also is where this is used. And this is not used in the Bible at all. So it is a part of the Koine Greek, but it's not in the New Testament Bible at all. But this is one, one of the four ways that the Greeks could say love. This is erotic love. Um, next up, we have storage. And this one right here is a, this is a parental nurturing type love. This is the love you would have for your child. Uh, this is the love you would have for, you know, somebody you've given birth to. It's like a nurturing, tender-hearted type of love. This word is not in the New Testament either, but if you put an A at the beginning of Greek words, it negates it. So it says like, like, a storgos or sorgos or whatnot means without this type of love, and that is in the Bible. That that without this tender love is in Timothy and some other things. So it's like saying that it's somebody who's heartless. But this word itself, this parental love, is is not in the Bible. It's not in the New Testament itself. Going to the next one, we have phileo. Now, some of you saw my um, group me post, but our brother Phil, who we lost, um, when I was digging into the Greek here. Uh, Phil Philip 
means a, a love of horses, is what fill up means, right? But fill by itself comes from this base, phileo. And this is where we get Philadelphia, which is where you have the city of brotherly love. So phileo is this type of love right here. It is that brotherly love. It is a, it's, it's, some people consider it even a love for a husband and a wife or for somebody in the community that you're very close with. Or when you say my BFF, like you probably have a phileo love for your BFF and all those good things, right? So this one is in the Bible. This one's definitely in the Bible. But this is not the love that Paul's using in the scriptures that we're looking at. So even that love is not enough to, to have for what Paul's talking about you need to have in regards to using your gifts or how you go about being a part of the body. So the next one, the next one, agape. There it is, agape love. This is the love that is defined as God's love. See, you can have eros on your own, you can have storage on your own, you can have phileo on your own. You cannot have agape unless you've received it from God himself. So I want to start here because we say love. We, I love the Lakers. I ain't going to die for the Lakers, right? <laughs> I love them. I ain't dying for them. Um, I, I, I love my car. I love my house. I love the community. I love, you know what I mean? We say love so much, we just throw it around. And what happens is that is, can't, that's coming to the church context, and, and we, don't, we, you know, we don't dig deep enough. So we, we say, I love you. I love you, John, just because I'm supposed to love you on Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning. We're in this building. This is church. And since we're in here, I love you. I'm not going to call you later this week. I'm not going to check in on you. I'm not going to pray for you later this week. But I love you because we're here and that's what we're supposed to do. That's, that's the church today. It's, it's saying the word without knowing the meaning and saying, well, yeah, Rashad, I, I do love. I love. And so, obviously, Paul's definitely not talking about me, right? Because I, I love everybody. I say hi to everybody. And that's me loving them and saying hi to them. No. <laughs> that's, that's not the love that Paul's talking about. This agape love is a love that if you don't understand, I would even question, do you understand salvation? This is gonna, so this is going to get heavy, and I want you to understand something. Um, it hurt me first, okay? So if your toes get stepped on, trust me, all week long my toes have been st- smashed, right? Um, but listen, just listen. Just like take a moment and take this in and grasp it because this is going to challenge us um, at our core of what it means to truly love and be a part of a, of a church family, okay? This is, this is something amazing. It's, it's, so agape love is, is a, it's a selfless, sacrificial love, all right? Agape love, the person receiving it is the only one who benefits, honestly. I, I'm not doing it to receive something. That's why I said, even if I, like phileo, Philadelphia and all that brotherly love, but loving my wife, she's still my wife, so I get something out of that. She, you know, she's my wife, so I have expectations. I have things that come back, and it's, it's still something that I get in return. But this agape love gets nothing in return necessarily. Like, it, it loves on the front end, right? So before we get back into 1 Corinthians 13, we got to study this word, agape. L- let's go to Romans 5. Let's go to Romans 5. So Paul is talking to the Romans, and he says, hey, look, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So you, every one of you in here, were helpless. In other words, you could not do anything to save yourself. You could do nothing to correct the wrong relationship between you and God that was caused because of sin. There's nothing you could do about it yourself. You could do nothing about it. You were helpless. You were actually helpless. You were utterly helpless. And, and go back, go back, go back, go back. There you go. Okay. And at the right time, Christ, because he loved you, he died for you while you were ungodly. You see that? Some of us won't even have dinner with the ungodly, let alone die for the ungodly. We separate ourselves from those who don't look like us or who are not a part of our holy huddle, and, but we say, but we love everybody. You know, we love everybody, but uh, stay over there. <laughs> this is how we love. Yeah, well, of course we love them. We, we pray for them and we think about them. But no, we don't interact with them because they're ungodly. That's, that's how we view love, right? But Christ died for the ungodly who was you. 
I mean, I hope you realize that. I don't care if you came out and your daddy was a pastor and you came to Christ at five years old. At some point, you were ungodly. You were the, you were the ungodly. Every single person in here was the ungodly. And he died for you. You. So as we get ready to dive into this word, what are you holding on to that you wouldn't do that for someone else? Because this is what we're looking at. We're looking at God saying, I did this for you, so you should do this for others, especially those who you call brothers and sisters in Christ. So for a while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Now keep going. And then he says, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare to even die. But look at this. God demonstrates his own what? He demonstrates, amen, God demonstrates his love. In other words, you want to see what it tangibly looks like to love the way God loves? He demonstrated it for you towards us by dying for us while we were yet sinners. So not only were we ungodly, we were unworthy. This is who he died for. This is how he demonstrated his love. He went to the cross for you when you didn't deserve it. Remember, if everybody in this room goes to hell, he's still a good, good father. All right? If everybody in this room went to hell, he's still a good, good father. He didn't have to die for you. He didn't owe you anything. He, owed, he didn't owe you anything. So why would he do this? Because he loves you. So why won't you do the same? You see that? We, we come to a church, we put up all these walls, all these barriers, and we tell people they have to earn our love. Right? The deep, intimate love, the, the next level of love, Kayla, you, you got to earn that from me. You don't just get that. you got to put some time in to get that, right? What if Christ took that approach to loving us. Would anybody be saved? Because I don't know about you, but I ain't earned nothing. I fail him every day. I don't meet his expectations at all. So he loved me on the front end. He died for me while I was helpless, while I was a sinner, while I was ungodly, while I was unworthy. That's when he demonstrated his love towards me on the front end. On the front end. So he goes on and he says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Keep going. And he says, for if while we were enemies, so helpless, sinners, enemies, any military people, any people from the military, we got some military folks over there. All right, check it out. You don't die for the enemy. You die for your country. You die for your home, you die for your freedom, you die for your allies. You don't die for the enemy. That don't even make sense, right? Exactly. Exactly. You were his enemy when he died for you. Can you, can you, put, that, can you put that together? When you were the enemy, you were at war with God, disobedient in your sin, just, he died for you then. And says, this is a gape love that I need you to have for those who are in your life, in, your, in the body that you're attached to, the members that you're gathered with. I need you to have this love for them. You, go, you don't even have it for your spouse. You, you won't even show that love for your spouse. That's where divorce comes from. But he, but she, agape. Because you know what? If that's the case, Christ should have divorced me the moment I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. If that's the case, because I've been, I've been doing wrong by him ever since. But see, we wouldn't want it that way from Christ, right? We, we, no, no, well, hold on. What about grace, Rashad? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes and amen. Exactly. So why won't you show your spouse that? Why won't you show your, show your church member that? Why won't you show the people in the community that? Like, this is what we're talking about here. Like, you can get up here and preach and teach and do all those great things that look really good to the people, but if you don't have, actually possess agape love, it's just noise. 
It's just noise. These are the people that, that are, there's people who are proud of this. You know that? They, they get up here and they got this platform and, and Shola, they're like, they're like, look, man, I don't care about the people and how they feel. I'm going to tell it the way it is. Even Paul took an approach where he said, if I speak in tongues and don't have love, I, because people will receive that better than you saying you and you and you and you and you, right? Even he was concerned about his tone and his approach and how he spoke to people in regards to, he said, if I spoke in the tongues of men and the, and, and, or the languages of men and, and of angels, and yet I don't have love, I, I have become just a loud gong or a noisy symbol or whatever. He, he says, if, if I prophesied and if I had all the knowledge and all the faith and all this, but I don't have love, then, then I am nothing. But he, it's hyperbole. He's, he's saying it that way because he loves you. <laughs> because people, they put that wall up as soon as you tell them, this is you. They don't want to hear that, so you got to talk about yourself. So I'm going to do the same thing today. Okay, I'm going to talk about me. <laughs> but, but think about this. Think about this. Um, what happens is the better you understand that God died for you when you didn't deserve it and then says, with that same love, I want you to die, for, to die, to take up your cross, to bear a cross for others that you fellowship, that you're gathered with. Now you see how ministry is supposed to work. This is how the body is supposed to work. This is what keeps people from jumping from church to church to church to church to church. Why? Because I'm going to love you selflessly and sacrificially. You stepped on my toes. You hurt me. You betrayed me. You did this. You did that. But God placed me here, and therefore, I'm going to minister to you by loving you in this moment. This is, this is what he's talking about. There were, there, were, there were Christians in the Corinthian church who were doing things for nothing else but themselves. If I, if I talk in a tongue and I become the popular tongue talker or whatnot, or, or if I preach a good sermon or if I'm known in the community, if, if I sing great and people love my voice and I'm just up here doing it for me, then, then it's nothing but noise. It's just noise. And, and you should know that there's people who, if you, if you listen to them, there's preachers who get up, they, <laughs> they tell you a whole bunch of good feeling stuff. None of it is gospel. None of it is truth. They are literally up there for the paycheck and for the popularity and for the platform, and it's noise. Nobody's being saved from that. Nobody's being edified from that. Nobody's being built up from that. And then on the flip side, you, so let's get away from the prosperity people. Let's go to the ones who are, are so fire, hell, and brimstone that they're doing it purely out of anger. They're just mad. <laughs> like, they, they, they'll, they'll hide it, and, and once again, I'll use myself as an example. Um, they'll hide it with, I just, you know, I'm just passionate about God's word. Are you as passionate about God's word as you are for God's people? Because if that's the case, I don't, I want people to actually hear me. I want them to actually receive what I'm saying. So I'm going to, so, so this is why, this is why when I'm teaching, I don't ever want to be too educated in the teaching and start going with all the soteriology, pneumatology, eschatology, and all, because that's just me trying to show you I know a whole lot of stuff, right? Let me show, let me preach my seminary, Vince. Like, let me just teach my seminary class up here. Who cares if you get anything out of it? I just want you to see that I'm smart when it comes to this Bible stuff. That's not love. That's not love. There's no love in that. Why? Because nobody's built in that. And when they, so what happens is, we're not going to get to chapter 14, but in chapter 14, when he's teaching on the gift of speaking in languages of men or languages of angels, he, he says, look, if you have this gift and you just start talking in tongue and nobody knows what you're saying and you keep talking, nobody's edified from that. No, nobody gets anything out of that. So why are you doing it? That's what he says in chapter 14. So, so why? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say tongues aren't real. I'm not, not going to say that at all. Like, God does, hey, I believe in the Holy Spirit. He does what he wants to do, whatever. But here's the question. Here's the question. When I see it sometimes, I'll see people, speak, I'll see a whole congregation speaking in tongues. 
okay, no problem. And, and, and the question becomes, okay, so, so what do I get from this? What is going to edify me? What's going to grow me? What's going to build us up as a church? What are we going to gain from this so that we can be better for the kingdom? So what happens is, so Paul says, okay, you need an interpreter to actually tell you what's being said. But if there's no interpreter, shut up. And, and, and I'm saying that because I even say that to myself. Once again, when I'm studying, I, I don't have the gift of tongue. But when I'm studying with my gifting, and I'm into the preaching, the teaching, I'm dissecting the Bible and all those good things, there's some things that are wow for me, right? And even then I have to measure it and say, but is that for them? Because I can get in here and start spewing off all kinds of stuff to show off. And to show you how God has gifted me, but what are you getting out of it if it's above what you can comprehend, what you can understand? And if I don't take time to break it down to the lowest level for you, and so you get these preachers who will come in and say, well, I'm just going to teach it the way I teach it, and they just going to have to figure it out. That's like, no. Your job is to communicate to the body so that, they can, so that we can all attain the faith, right? So, so I will sacrifice, and I will be selfless, and hold back all these things I want to tell you for you. Now, I'm still growing in that area, and that's why some of my sermons are an hour long. I'm, I'm, I'm growing, all right? I'm growing. Because I'm like, well, that's the case. Why you preach so long? Hush. <laughs> but, but no, seriously, seriously. So it's not saying your gift is not important. It's saying if you're using your gift without love, then it's not important. Well, how do I know if I'm using it in love? Are you using it for someone else? Or is it just for you? And this is, see, we've taken the chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, and we say, I'm getting married. And I want you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is kind, love is patient, because I'm getting married, John, and that's the marriage verse. Uh, let me help you out. In its context, <laughs> in its context, it's for the church. It's looking at church members. It's looking at a church that was divided and saying, you must put love first before anything. Remember, this is, the same, this is the same scripture, the same letter, the same epistle where Paul looks at people and goes, hey, I, I am lawful to do all things, but nothing will master me. I'm lawful to do all things, but if it doesn't benefit, if it doesn't profit, then I'm not going to do it. This is the same scriptures where, where when you're reading through this letter and you say, look, I know I can eat whatever I want, but if what I'm eating is going to cause my brother to stumble, I'm not going to eat it. Why? Love. Love. I know I can eat sausage. <laughs> I know I can. But if somebody is struggling with that, then I'm going to put the sausage away when I'm in their presence. I, I know I can have a drink of wine. But if somebody's a recovering alcoholic, I'm going to put the wine away when I'm in their presence. Why? Not because I can't drink wine, but because I love you enough to let go of my liberties for you. That this entire epistle, this entire letter is about love. It is, and, and let me go further. The entire Bible is about self-sacrificing love. Period. You want to sum up God in one word? Agape. Sums him up giving himself over for you when you didn't deserve it, and then telling you to do the same for everybody you encounter in life. But instead, you come up with expectations and things that need to be met before you love them like that. Well, that's, that's works-based. Hey, you can't have this salvation until you do this. Think about that. And then here comes the next question. Well, how much of that do I have to do before I before I've done enough for it. And now you see how there's no peace and no joy and, no, and none of those things that are the fruit of the Spirit. I don't have any of that because I don't know if I've done enough for my salvation. But Christ says, <laughs> I did it for you and I freely give it to you. There's nothing you can do to add or decrease the value of how I loved you. I did it on the front end. I did it before you even knew I existed. I did it before you believed in me. When you were the atheist, when you were the agnostic, I died for you. 
When you were telling people I wasn't real, when you told people this holy roly stuff was phony, I still died for you. And if you receive me, what makes you think that when you fall short or when you don't keep up with all the things you think you need, what makes you think I'm going to take that back from you? When I gave it to you before you had any relationship with me, you, you think I'm going to take it back now that you failed in some areas or fallen short or come up short? No, that's not how my love works. So why does yours work any different? Why does your love for each other work any different? Where you, I gave you my love, and then you hurt my feelings. Give it back. I gave you my love, and then I scheduled you for something at church, and you didn't do it. Give it back. I gave you my love. You see what I'm saying? What, what kind of love is that? What would it look like if we all looked at each other and said, you can't fail me? You can't fail me because I love you. I love you the way that I've been loved. Will I be disappointed in some things? Yes. Will I be frustrated? Yeah. Will I rebuke you? Yes. Will I correct you? Yes. Will there be church discipline? Yes. <laughs> but you cannot lose my love. You can't lose it because you did nothing to get it, to gain it. I gave it to you when you walked through that door. The first time I saw you, I loved you with everything I had because that's how God loved me. Doesn't that change the way you operate? Don't you start doing things not out of obligation but out of opportunities? You, you don't feel obligated to do something. You see an opportunity to do something. And now, and, and, and what happens is we become examples instead of excuses. See, right now we're a whole bunch of excuses. Well, I would, but sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, or this or that, or whatever. And there's excuses of why we're not that. Instead of just being the examples of what we've already received, if you've received it. That's my question today, family. Have you received that love? Have you truly received that love? Or do you walk in here every week thinking, man, I didn't come last week. God ain't going to love me as much as he did before. Man, I didn't, I didn't read the Bible as much as I was supposed to read it. God ain't going to love me as much as he did before. Is that how you feel? Because if that's how you feel, I'm, I'm here to tell you I'm hurting for you. And I, and I mean that. I'm hurting for you. Be because... You're still trying to earn something he's already given you. So does that mean, oh, well, then I'm scot-free. I don't never have to come to church. I don't never. No, no. If you really have received that, you want to. You see the opportunity to get to know this father, this creator in heaven who's given this to you on the front end. Don't you want to know more about him? Don't you want to get to know him better? I'm sorry. I love my wife, but I wanted to get to know more of her before I married her. So um, give, me, give me Mark. Give me Mark 12. Um, so Jesus, uh, they, they asked, what's the most important commandment? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen to Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And he says, he says this. Go next. Um, he says, and you must love the Lord. Love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So everything. And he says second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandments is greater than these. You see, it's the same agape love there. The love that you're supposed to have for God, you're supposed to have for each other. Who's your neighbor? Look, 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 look around. Just look around real quick. Say, hi, neighbor. That's your neighbor. Anybody see somebody they don't know? That's your neighbor. Doesn't matter. Your community, neighbor, the person. I said this last service. When you go and you order food at Wendy's and they mess it up, guess what? That's your neighbor. Love them. Love them. <laughs> right? Your neighbor is whoever is in your proximity, in your path at any given time. That is your neighbor. Love them. How? Sacrificially. Selflessly. Uh-oh. Now you're starting to understand what this looks like. Keep going to whatever my next slide was right there. John 13. So look at this. Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. This is right after Jesus washed their feet. Show of hands, whose feet in here are worthy of being washed by the creator of the universe? Anybody? Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> no, nobody, right? Nobody. And, and, and yet, He's showing you what love looks like. Nobody is worthy of having their feet washed by the creator of the universe. Nobody is worthy of having their sins washed by the creator of the universe. Yeah. 
See what I'm saying? Let alone your feet, your souls have been washed by the creator of the universe. So, so, so in the same way that I have loved you, love each other. Oh, oh, there you go. This is, next verse, and he says this, he says, he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In other words, as a body, when we sign those papers and we join together and we say we're all in, we're supposed to look different as a community than they do. The word saint, the word sanctified, the word holy, all of those consecrate, all those things come from the same base Greek word hagios. It means set apart, set aside, put to the side. Like, this is different than this, right? How will they know that we're different, Rashad? By our love for one another. It distinguishes us. It sets us apart. But we look just like them out there. We run church like a business, man. We run church like a business. You're fired. <laughs> you didn't meet my expectations. You're fired. You didn't, you, you're fired from me. You're, you don't get the benefits that you would have got when you were part. People leave this church, and when they leave, and whether they say something to me or not, I let them know privately, I still love you. You may not be here. You may not come here anymore. You may not attend here. You may not even like our church. I still love you because that's what makes us look different than them, and that's what's going to attract them. So going to 1 John, I want you to see this real quick as I'm, I'm bringing it all in. Like I said, I want to get to the scripture that I wanted to, but this is good. Dear friends, let us continue to love agape, one another, for love comes from God. It's not yours. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. So you can't sing the song we just sang, he calls me a child of God and yes I am and all that, and not love. Because anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But look at this. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God literally is love. It defines him. God equals love. Agape love. Self-sacrificing love. That's what God is. He didn't have to die for you. He chose to die for you. He chose. He didn't need to do it. He doesn't wish your forgiveness. I know they betrayed you. I know they hurt. I know they hurt you. I know church is hard. I know the people in church are hard. They don't deserve your love. But did you deserve his? So what are you holding on to yours for? What are you holding on to yours for? Why? Why? Instead of just giving it away. You should, you should be like when, when, when Oprah and Ellen are giving out gifts and stuff on their TV shows. They're just, here's a car. Here's a car. You should be like, here's love. Here's some love. Right? But instead, you hold on to it and go, I'm going to wait until they're here for three months to make sure that they're really all in. So keep going, keep going. So, so 4.16, he says, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. You, so everything you believe is based on your trust in his love, all right? If you're here right now, and you, thank you, yeah, it makes me laugh too. That makes me laugh. So everything you believe about Jesus Christ being born, uh, the death, the burial, the resurrection, all of that is based on one thing, love. If God doesn't love us, Love us with agape love. Christ is not born. You get that, right? Why would I send my son to be born to die for you who don't deserve it unless I love you in a supernatural way? And then for him to be on the cross and then buried and then to even resurrect him. All of this is because of his love. So you literally live your life as believers based on trusting in this agape love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Keep going. He goes on, he says, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. In other words, I'm not scared of judgment day. I'm not afraid to stand before God. Why? Go back to the basics, and I'm, I'm getting out of your hair. Go back to the basics. I know I missed church last week. I, I know I should have read more. I know I could have prayed more, but I also know how God loves me. I know how he loves me. 
So because I know how he loves me, when I stand before him, I'm confident because I've received that love. I know he loved me before I did anything for it. I, I know that. I'm confident in that. So I'm not scared of judgment day. Jesus, you can come back right now. I am ready for you because I know I'm not perfect, but I know you are. I know I'm not perfect, but I know your love is. So yes, I strive to be obedient in all ways because of your perfect love. But when I fall short, I stand confident because of your perfect love. This, this, should, this should take so much burden off of you this morning, right? Because I messed, I messed up last night. I messed up this week. I'm going to mess up tomorrow. And if I don't understand his perfect love, you know what? I'm trembling. I'm scared because I, I didn't do everything I was supposed to do this week. And I didn't say everything I was supposed to say during this sermon. And now I don't even want to preach to y'all no more because I might not say everything exactly how I was supposed to say it. And I'm scared and I'm in fear. And, and, and this is what he says about that. Go to the next verse. He says, such love has no fear, agape love, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. You, you, if, you're, if you're afraid, you, you literally think what he did on the cross was not enough. You're scared because you're like, I know he died for me, but I got to do something else. And if I don't do that something else, whatever that something else is, something bad's going to happen to me. And he's like, what kind of love are you talking about? That's worldly love. That, that's the love that comes with expectations and qualifications and restrictions. That's not my love. I died for you when you was against me. I loved you when you was against me. So you think now that you're for me, when you come up short, I'm going to stop loving you? I love my daughter. Does she come up short? All the time. <laughs> it doesn't stop my love for her, and I'm a fallen man. How much more the sovereign God who doesn't change? So, so finishing out, he says this. He says, we love each other. Why? Because he loved us. I give you this love not because you earned it and not because I'm some great Christian. I give it to you because I received it, and I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like to be told, Rashad, you're not the perfect pastor. Rashad, you're not the perfect preacher, but you're still my child. I know that love. I know that love. So I love you the same way. You can't fail me. My wife can't fail me. My daughter can't fail me. This church family cannot fail me. You can't lose my love because it's not, mine to get, it's not mine to keep or mine to take away. It was given to me from God. It was given to me from God when I was failing him and I keep failing him. So why would I treat you any different than he treats me? So my question is, why, are you, why do you have expectations for each other that are unreasonable when God loved you when you failed all of his reasonable expectations? That doesn't even add up. So, so he says this. He says, he says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God who we can't see? And he finishes it up. He says, and he's given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. This is the love he's talking about. So real quick, going back to 1 Corinthians 13, just read through this again. Now think about it. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have... I don't have love. I become a noisy gong or a clean. I, I, I become a noisy gong or a clinging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I know all the mysteries, all the knowledge, if I have all the faith, so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm, I'm nothing. And if I give all my, if I give everything away to the poor, and if I die, if I actually die for what I believe in, but I don't have love, I have nothing. Why? Because if I don't have love, I don't have God. You can do all that church, religious, Sunday morning stuff you want to. If you don't have God, you have nothing. And God is love. So I didn't get to my sermon. <laughs> but as we close out, this is what I want you to think about. We're going to sing this song called You Say. Listen to it. Because this is what happens. I preach passionately ferociously this morning, because love is my favorite subject of the Bible. I'm, I can do it any day, every day, all day. But, but here's the problem. I don't want the, the volume of my voice 
to discourage you this morning from thinking because you're not loving the way the Bible says to love right this moment that God has stopped loving you. That's what this song is going to show you. It's going to say, even if you're not meeting this standard that we just looked at, this, this basic, hey, you've received it, so you give it, he, he still holds you while you fall short. He still cares for you while you fall. So if you're sitting here and you're heavy and you're like, man, I don't love that way. I'm not there yet. Then know that he still loves you now. He loves you right now. As you as you as you've processed this tough sermon and said, I'm not there with all my family, and I, I don't necessarily have all that with my church family or with the community or with my wife or whatever. He looks at you in this song and says, and and even as you fall short of that, I still died for you. That alone should should change the way you walk out the doors today. Because you, you've probably just been hit with evidence that you're not doing it perfectly. And he still loves you perfectly. So shouldn't that turn something in your heart? Shouldn't that stir something in your soul to sacrificially and selflessly start giving yourself in every way to each other? Starting in the home with the spouse and the kids and working its way into the church and the community and all this. This is what the body is called to do, to love. So please, um, stand up with us as we get ready to sing, you say. Thank you. 
we get ready to leave, um, once again, just take the words of that song. You say I'm held when I am falling short. When I'm, when I'm not strong, when I'm weak, I mean, I'm still loved by you. And I believe, I think that's the most important part. Like, a lot of us know this stuff. We know the words. We know the information. We just don't really believe it. Um, and therefore, we don't know how to love others because we don't even believe the love that we have yet. So think through that. Think through those words. As I fall short, you, you continue to hold me. You continue to love me. You continue to call me yours. And then go to that next part and say, and I believe. Yes, I believe. If you believe that this morning, this will change the way you walk out this room. And you will actually have been ministered to individually by God himself this morning. And you show that, you display that to yourself. How? By giving it to somebody else and helping them to believe the same thing. See, they may not know God, they may not see Christ, but if they see you love them like that, as a result, they, they're seeing Christ love them like that. We say it all the time, people aren't reading their Bibles, but they're reading you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your example in just loving us and teaching us how to love others. Father, we ask you, we ask you, Father, to ensure that this right here has really penetrated our hearts, that we are regenerated because of this, that our minds are transformed, Father, and we are actually w willing and ready to selfish, selflessly and sacrificially love. This podcast is a ministry of Church on the Rock in Brownsburg, Indiana. If you want any more information about our church family, our pastor, or where we meet, please visit our website, www.churchontherockbb.com.